0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless... David took the stronghold. Everybody say stronghold. Stronghold. The stronghold of Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. That is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up the way by the water shaft, or the gutter, some translations say, and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now, now I'm going to explain this phrase that makes no sense to us unless you look into it. Verse 9, Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around the Milo and inward. And David went on and became great and the Lord God of hosts. Was with him. David is mentioned 600 times in the Old Testament, 60 plus times in the New Testament. And in this particular story, Israel was divided. You know that Israel was 12 tribes or 12 family brothers, and they all had their own tribe. And half of the tribes split off, known as the northern tribes, and half split off. And became known over a disagreement, became known as the southern tribes. It was a family fight in, in the kingdom of God because it was a family. They were all brothers and their families got in a disagreement and the family split. And they, when they split, um, Hebron became the capital city for the southern tribes. And uh, Samaria became the capital city for for the northern tribes. And one was on one side of this area in the Middle East. And the others on the other side. And this is interesting now. Right in between the split families. Got part of the family living over here for decades. Part of the family living over here not talking to that family. And guess what happened right in the middle? The enemy called Jebusites, built a stronghold. When we are divided, the enemy comes in and wants to build a stronghold. That stronghold was so powerful that it became known as the city of the Jebusites. But there came a time when God moved mightily upon David to unite the family, to unite the tribes. God said, Enough is enough. I want my people to lay down their fights with one another. I want the family to come back together. And you are called and anointed, David, to make this transition. David knew if I unite the family and I make Hebron our capital city then they'll think I'm favoring my people, the southern tribe people. If I go over to Samaria and say it's the capital, then all of my relatives... How many of you have got family and you understand all this? I mean, it's almost as bad as Thanksgiving dinner or something. But if I go over there and, and make Samaria the capital city of Israel, then the southern tribe will get all upset and say I'm being unfair. Where should our capital be? Where's the city of David going to be? And right in the middle of these two tribes was the city of the Jebusites that would become known as the city of David that would become known today as the city of Jerusalem. God spoke to David and he said, get out of your comfort zone. He could have sat there for the rest of his life in Hebron. He had done good. He had done amazing. He had united. He had done some wonderful things. He had defeated his enemies. And he could have stayed there the rest of his life. But God said, don't you settle. Don't you settle. David, I've already chosen a place. And it's the city of the Jebusites. And I want you to take that stronghold and call it Zion. David said, I know that city. This is interesting. Because a few years ago, when I fought Goliath, if you read the story of David fighting Goliath, he killed Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 16, it said he cut his head off. And he ran with that head all the way to the city of the Jebusites. 16 miles took a spear and drove it into the ground and took the head of that giant Goliath and put it on a hill, the Bible said, outside the walls of the city of the Jebusites. As if to say to them, I'm under the anointing of God. And you Jebusites who sit up on that stronghold, And you pride yourself in that no one will ever take that city. I'm serving notice on you right now while the anointing is on me. That you think you're giant and you're big and you're mighty. But the same God who put this giant's head on my spear is going to give me this city one of these days. I don't know when. I don't know how. But one day, catch this, I'm coming back and I'm taking this stronghold. You think you're as big as a giant. But what is interesting and what is fascinating about this story is the psychological warfare the Jebusites used on the Israelites to hold them back from taking the stronghold down that was in their family. The devil... Wants to keep you out of God's dream for you, God's vision, God's purpose. He wants you to just settle where you are. He works overtime. And what's interesting about this story to me is the Jebusite city was like. um, How do I describe this? The Israelites considered it to be haunted. Haunted. It was the legend of ghost stories. Parents scared their children with stories of the Jebusites and how fierce they were. Three times the Bible mentions the phrase, the blind and the lame. Three times the Jebusites taunted David and the army of Israel with mentioning the blind and the lame. Jewish rabbis teach what this phrase was in reference to. They believe and teach that it was a reference like rubbing salt into the wounds of the Israelites. They were flaunting and taunting from the walls insults to the people of God and they used the phrase lame and blind. What is that about? This is very interesting. The Jebusites, this is a historical fact, the Jebusites built on a 40-mile mountain. acreage. Uh, it's about 40 acres, the city, but a 40-mile radius. High up, about 70 feet in the air. Jerusalem at that time was. Um, they built massive walls. And then they built, this is interesting, the Jebusites built gigantic caricatures of two heroes of the Israelites, put them on huge pulleys, would light f- with torches the walls, and when all the Israelites would be sitting down, looking at that wall and those high walls and those that high city, they had these huge, we would call them massive puppets or caricatures. If you've been to Disney World, you've seen Mickey Mouse walking around or some superhero. They built these massive things, two of them, one lame and one blind, one on one wall, one on the other. And at night, they would put on a theatrical show. I'm not making this up. And it would look like a blind man was walking along the wall on one side, and it would look like on the other wall that a lame man was stumbling on the wall. And what was that about? They were making fun of the forefathers of Jacob and Isaac. Isaac, you remember, went blind and uh, or was it Jacob? It was Jacob who, no, Isaac went blind. And and, and the Bible said when he was on his deathbed, he gave the blessing to the wrong brother because he was deceived because he couldn't see. And so they were making fun of Isaac and Jacob, you remember, got in a wrestling match with God and, and the angel pulled his leg out of joint. And the Bible said he walked away with a limp. And so what they were doing, the Jebusites, with psychological warfare, they were saying, nobody in your family has ever been able to conquer the Jebusite stronghold. Who do you think you are? Why do you think that you can be, you can pull this stronghold down that's been in your family for so long? I mean, the lame couldn't do it. Are you greater than Esau? Jacob, the blind man, couldn't do it. Are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than Esau? Every young Hebrew soldier would walk and look up on that wall and they would see the mockery of their patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob. They would see and hear and the stories, the ghost stories of how powerful and fierce the fighters were on the wall. And every night they would see the enemy with psychological warfare would show them how weak they were and how defeated they were. The devil is great at magnifying the weaknesses of our heroes. Remember, you're just a bunch of lame folks. Remember, you're just a bunch of blind folks. Just remember, you're nobody and you're nothing and nobody in your family has ever been able to do anything great. And look, that's what you came from and that's what you came from and you'll never be any better. Don't you think that you can do anything good for God? If we brought down these big boys, Isaac and Jacob, you don't have a chance. And they've got these caricatures on the walls nightly, the blind and the lame, to remind them that you can't do it. What I'm saying to you tonight is the fight for Jerusalem was so historic that in order to overcome and take the city of David which would become Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified where Jesus would the whole story was dependent upon this this stronghold coming down and they had they had kept them out by by Uh, using psychological warfare against them, telling them in their mind, you're nobody, you're nothing, you'll never be able, you're not good enough, you'll never be free. Your daddy was an alcoholic and you'll be an alcoholic. Your mama was like this and you'll be like this and this is always all you've ever known. So don't you dare, you better settle where you are. You'll never be able to take this stronghold. Just live in Hebron and Samaria and settle for less. Now, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to fast forward real quick. I want to tell you the history of Jerusalem real quick. The fight for Jerusalem was a Zionist dream. If you've ever gone to Israel, you will fly in from the United States to the David ben Gurion airport in Tel Aviv. It's the only airport you can fly into Israel in on commercial airlines. The David ben Gurion. it's named after a young man... The, 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 the founder of the Zionist state, David Ben Gurion. When he was just a teenager, he helped design the Israeli flag. He was a remarkable young boy who believed that somehow Israel could become a nation again after the decimation of Hitler in World War II. And so, before they ever had a nation, David Ben Gurion got together with some other young people, teenagers, and they formed the beautiful Israeli flag that you see today. They created it with the Star of David. It was done by a teenager. He started a Zionist youth society named Ezra, named after the prophet Ezra, that would restore the temple. He would give speeches when he was just 19 years old that would stir the people And he would talk about God has promised our father Abraham that one day we would take the city of Jerusalem and we would have the Holy Land and we need to believe for it. He gave such speeches that one noted and famous rabbi heard him give a speech when he was 19 years old and he said, if we had 10 more teenagers like him, Israel will be restored. The hardest battle in his life was when his own dad, Herzl Ben-Gurin, came to him because United Nations felt sorry for the Israelites And they said, we're going to give you your own state. We're going to give you your own land to form your own nation. But we can't give you that area that's called the Holy Land where Jerusalem is. We cannot give you that back. It's in other people's hands. You'll never get that land. So what we propose is plan B. This is a historical fact. Go check it out. The United Nations came back, pushed mostly by the British Empire, to offer The Israelites who had survived the Holocaust called Plan B, which was a piece of property in the nation of Uganda, Africa. It became known as the Uganda Plan. It was 24,000 square miles in Africa that had streams and mountains, and they said, We want you, Jews, to take this 24,000 miles of land in Uganda. You're not going to get the promised land. I know God told your forefather Abraham you'd have it, but you can't have it. Take plan B. I feel like preaching. I wonder how many of us are living in plan B. I wonder how many of us are settling for plan B. I wonder how many of us have gotten so comfortable in the predictable and in the the easy and it doesn't take a lot of faith. I wonder how many of us are living in plan B when God said, I told you Zion was yours. And if you won't settle for the devil's Uganda plan, I've got something greater than you can ever. Some of you are settling. Wait, don't make me use my stuff some of you are settling for the Uganda plan, dating somebody that you're trying to make it work and the pieces just don't fit. If it doesn't fit, don't force it. The worst thing you can do when you're trying to put a puzzle together is get the wrong piece and try to pound it in and if it doesn't fit, don't force it. Because if that piece doesn't fit, the next piece isn't going to fit the next piece and you're going to mess your life up. If you won't settle for the Uganda plan. God will bring about the prophecy in your life. Take a praise break and thank him. And it was his own father who was old and said, look, we're not getting everything we want, but just settle, just settle for less than it's not what we dreamed of. It's not what God promised us but just you know it's better than nothing for 24,000 square miles is better than what we've got right now let's take it. And young David Ben-Geren said no daddy no that's not what God said God said Jerusalem shall be ours. A teenager Finally, it came down to a meeting in the United Nations. And the British Lord Belford of the British Empire told the Jews to take it. Take the Uganda plan. And young David Ben-Garin, now in his twenties, gets up and gives a speech. And he turned to Lord Belford from England, and he said, "Sir, can I ask you a question in front of everybody, cameras?" He said, "Would you trade London for Paris?" And with that English digni- dignified voice, Lord Belford said, "Heavens, no." London was ours from the beginning of the British Empire. And young David Ben Gurin said, and Jerusalem was ours when London was a swamp. Woo, I feel like shouting. Then he gave this speech. He said, Yes. Uganda has rivers, but it doesn't have a river that God rolled back and we walk through. Yes, Uganda has mountains, but it doesn't have mountains where our forefather Elijah called down fire from heaven. Yes, it has all kinds of things, but it doesn't have a city like the city of David. They refused. And in 1948... They handed the holy land over To these people Let me uh, Let me quickly come to the last part of my message There's no city like Jerusalem Anywhere in the world It's interesting that our president is talking about moving The embassy From Tel Aviv to Jerusalem If he does it Ooh, it's got big prophetic implications that I don't have time to go into. But something is going on that is beyond anything we can't imagine. Now let me finish this sermon. You can, I'm trying to figure out what I cut out and what I leave in. But here I go. I'm going for the last five minutes. There's no city. We won't settle for the Uganda plan. I hope somebody will say that tonight. I'm going for Zion. I remember when God put this city in my heart riding down that road right there. And I came back before I left town. And I drove a spear spiritually in the ground and put Goliath's head right out there in the parking lot. And I said, I don't understand this, but one day I'm coming back. (laughs) And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but here we are. And it's not me, it's God. Don't get that messed up. Now listen to what David said to him. He said, it's time to take the stronghold. And then he gave the strangest order. He said, I've been studying this and it's impossible to take this city. But I have seen a weakness. They have aqueducts where they collect water. So you're going to have to go up the gutter. And if you're willing to go up the gutter, have you ever cleaned out the gutter? I've watched Sharice do it many times. I'm going to tell you, it's nasty in a gutter. There's bird's nest and bird's mess, and it's slimy, it's, it's nasty, it's gross, stuff is everywhere. It's a mess, it's gooey, it smells. And I wish that we could give this generation all the blessings, but I've come to preach to the younger people tonight. Younger preachers tonight, you got to go up your own gutter you don't understand that I want that anointing or I want that ministry and I want that authority, then you'll have to go through the dirtiest places, the hardest places, the most filthy mess. You'll go through stuff and you'll take, you'll you'll climb up while you're trying to build that church in Vegas, Jabin, and and you'll take three steps and, and then the moss will get you and you'll fall back down in the gutter and go back up and go. That's part of the process. There's no way to take a city without going through the gutter. So don't get discouraged in the gutter. Don't get discouraged in the mess. Don't get discouraged when all hell is breaking loose. It's just God sending you up. There's no shortcuts to your destiny. You have to go through the gutter. But you're getting faith. You're getting anointing. You're getting perseverance. You're getting patience. You're getting something in you that hell can't stop. You're getting a determination that says, I know who my God is because look where he brought me from. There's an authority behind your words when you've been through the gutter. Just when I think I'm safe, just when I think at 54, I've been through my dirty place. Here we go again. But it must be that God has higher ground that is even beyond anything we can imagine. Now I'm, I'm right where I want to be in the most important part of this message. Sit down. Is this? The Bible said that David's men went up the gutter, slimy, filthy. Some of you just want quick blessings, and if it's not easy, we don't see you for three weeks. But the people who get the strongholds and take, and the Bible said Joab went up the gutter. First, got on top of the wall and took those caricatures of the blind and the lame and threw them over. And, and you read it, there was not one sword swung. There was not one arrow. F- it was all psychological warfare. The Jebusites ran for their life and they took the city and not one Israelite died. The enemy is holding you back from magnificent blessings with psychological warfare fear, intimidation, doubt, discouragement, worry voices you're lame, you're blind, you don't have it, nobody in your family's any good and you're no different. Joab threw him over the wall and said, "Come on up." He established it, listen, and it became the city of David. Now, what is remarkable? And guys, I want you to look on there. I think I gave you some scriptures. Fast forward 1,500 years. Jesus Christ comes riding on a donkey into the city of David. And the Bible said that they crucified Him seven days later. And here's what's astounding. In Genesis 3, there's a prophecy that He will... Uh, you will, I believe it's Genesis 3. Have you got that verse? It says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall, you shall the King James says, crush. You'll, you'll crush his head. He'll bruise your heel. Now look up here at me. Don't, don't lose me. This is the most important part of this message. The, the light's going to come on in just a minute. <clears throat> There's coming a day... When you're going to... He's going to bite you. The serpent's going to bite you. But you're going to crush his skull. What did David do with Goliath's head or skull? He put it on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That's in your Bible and I can take you to it. Now watch what happens on crucifixion day. Go to... Is it Matthew 26? I think it is. or Whatever it is you've got. There it is. And when they came to the place called Golgotha... That is to say, the place of a skull. Wait a minute. Do you understand? That is a reference. That when David took Goliath's head. And said, one day. The same God who put his skull right here on the heel of the skull. Is going to come back. And take this city. Now, 1500 years later, Jesus is being crucified at Golgotha, which in Hebrew means the place of the skull. Why is that important? Because one day, soon, a trumpet's gonna sound, and the church is going to be raptured. The world is going to go into chaos. One government. The Antichrist will come on the scene. And for seven years the tribulation will begin. At the end of the seven years, suddenly Jesus Christ with all of us will return to Jerusalem, to the city of David, to that place and after the battle of Armageddon and Jesus wipes out all of our enemies, we're going to ride into that city with Him. And I've come tonight to conclude this little message while they come to the music by saying something to you. God has already... Provided through the cross the power to crush the enemy and destroy the stronghold in your family. He wants to take listen to this your dirtiest battles will be your greatest victories and the things that are the dirtiest in your life will become what you call Zion God's dwelling place. And He's here tonight. And I sense Him. I sense His anointing tonight. And I conclude with Ephesians, I think it's the sixth chapter. For the weapons of our warfare are not mighty. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. Here it is. For the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is a, an area strongly held by the enemy. An area of authority that he has set up in some place in maybe your family, in your life. But tonight the Lord says, through the power of the cross, I crushed Satan's head. At the place of the skull, I stomped him. I can give you the victory over the stronghold it can come down and the dirtiest place and the dirtiest battle of your life can become Zion where God dwells (laughs) it's going to be worth it all one of these days we don't get weary in well doing we don't quit when it gets tough throw your hands up the presence of the Lord is in this room surrender to Him today Give him your life. Give him your heart. Let him crush Satan under your feet tonight. Let's just stand up on our feet all over this room and lift up holy hands. All over this room. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.